If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. That's a, that's a great entrance. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. So, I was about to say, you're the founder and CEO of Domo. And that's a, I like to call it a business intelligence. Software company, you would probably call it something else. So well, that's yeah, underselling us quite that's, a bit. That's okay, fair enough. What is it? Take it on the top and tell us what it is. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a business that hasn't really existed before. I mean, we definitely play off and key off of business intelligence because it's a giant space that's been broken and no one's ever built a company there that works. And、uh, I didn't understand why until we got into it, which is why we ended up raising so much money.、We'll um, but what we, what we really think about in terms of our company is. We're a business management platform. We help you manage your business. And we take all your data from all the different sources and we put it on your phone and it's in an app. And you get a text message that says, Your pipeline dropped by 10%. You click on it, there's already a bunch of people in there talking about why. And、uh, it could be your, also your, you know, your cash management.、Um, we, you, we find out that you know, your sales expense reimbursements is the number one predictor of, of、uh, either someone leaving or. A deal about to close, just finding all the different correlations in the data, but it's all available in real time on your phone. And、so、that's just never existed before. When somebody adopts Domo and you have, what, a thousand customers? Yep, a thousand customers. So when somebody deploys Domo inside their company, what are they replacing? What are you replacing? For the most part, they're not replacing anything.、Um, you know, BI, BI is $16, $17 billion a year. Growing at 10, 15%, the three largest companies all have declining revenue. So it's yeah, this giant broken space. Are who? Are who?、Uh, you know, the, the big companies that sold、um, Hyperion and, and Bob J Business Objects.、Um, and, you know, when they. SAP, yeah, and, you know, it's just, and then data as a whole is, depending on what numbers you're looking at, $80, $90 billion. And we're really like the last mile. So it's kind of like, thank you for organizing your data. And it really came about because when I was running Omniture, from the time it was, I, I founded Omniture and, and、uh, took it public, sold it to Adobe. And the entire lifespan, I never got the data that I wanted. But then I would go and look at the data we're giving to our customers, like Expedia. I remember、yeah. they told me that they made 12 million bucks in one day after using our products. And I walk out of there, I'm like, I don't know how many employees I have. I don't know. We got beat up one quarter because our, days, our DSOs w a s totally jacked up. We dropped by or increased by four days.、Uh-huh. And we didn't catch it until the day of the earnings call. 
And it's like, this doesn't make sense. That data lives digitally. I know who to call to get it, but why doesn't it all get put together somewhere? And so that was kind of the impetus for it. So let's, let's, let's back up just a little bit here because I want, I want to make sure that, that everybody knows your story. So you started Omniture in what year? In 1996. The first software as a service company first, in history. First software as a service company, first SaaS yep. company. And what did it do? Uh, we took all your data about your web business and um, you know, could figure out your return on ad spend. Um, and then it ended up being, you know, tying together your email um, and your other lead gen activities, tying it all the way through to um, all the activity that happens on the web. But it started out just purely as web analytics because at the time there was just software and right. software didn't really work. Fast forward to what, 2008 or nine? Nine, uh, I took it public in 2006. I was the youngest CEO of a public company. All three years we were public. I remember, okay. Um, which, you know, that wasn't something that we talked a lot about <laughs> at the time. Um, it's kind of funny now. It was how I met Zuckerberg. I saw him at, in Davos and I was walking by and he wasn't really huge yet, um, but he's sitting there on his Blackberry and his hoodie and I said, hey Zuck, just so you know, I'm the youngest CEO of a public company, what's up? And uh, that's how I got that's to know cool. Mark. That's cool. That's cool. So then, and, and did he respond? Or? Yeah, and he's like, "What? Seriously? What's your company?" That was also the same day. Um, we did. We had free analytics before Google Analytics existed, but I didn't have a giant Google business to support, to support uh, free analytics. And so eventually, we had to get rid of it. But that we launched free analytics in '97. But that was also the day that I met Zuck. Was also the day that I met uh, Larry Page. And he was walking up the stairs, and I was walking down, and I said. Hey, Larry, I always wanted to meet you, Josh James Romansher. He's like, no shit. And I was like, oh, he does know who I am. So <laughs> That's cool. So, so you sold that to Adobe, a couple billion dollars. A couple billion dollars, sold it to Adobe in 2009. I stayed there for about uh, five months in a very welcome status, uh -huh. seven months in a semi-welcome status. And the last couple of days were not welcome at all. And then this is where our... I first encounter you, I catch you raising money. Yep, and then we started, uh, started, uh, started Domo really the next day after I left. I tried not to think, I'm, as a lot of entrepreneurs, I, I get a lot of ideas and I try not to think about it, I try to suppress them because it's unhealthy for me to think about uh -huh. other than what I'm focused on. And, um, but it was the one thing that always bugged me and we, I, had, I had purchased every BI software that was out there and then tried to put together a bunch of other pieces to get the platform that I wanted and nothing ever really worked, and then so I you, tried to build it myself, and that didn't work for just our own inter internal purposes. And then, so when I left, yeah, that's when I started, like so, basically the next day. So Domo was something that you needed as a CEO or wanted, and simply, yeah. in your estimation, didn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. So then, um, let's talk about the money, because you have an uncanny ability in this since Omniture. Uh, you have raised really, really a lot of money. Tell, tell the audience how much you've raised. We raised $450 million for Domo. Uh, we just announced last week we raised $200 million at a $2 billion valuation. No ratchets, clean terms. Um, we didn't whore ourselves out like a lot of people think. You see these high valuations right. and you know, we must have done a bad deal. But uh, we were very, I mean, having been through it once, the thing that was really important for me this time is I didn't do a very good job the first time getting um, the right kind of investors once we were public. I, didn't, I went from knowing all my investors to knowing none of them. And I remember after we sold, I met a lady who I felt knew more about my business than anybody. She was an awesome investor. And she told me after we sold, she's like, I was in and out of your stock six times. I'm like, what? I spent all that time with you for you to be in and out of my stock six times and increase the volatility? 
So this time I was like, I want to get the Fidelities and the T Rows, and um, this last round was led by BlackRock. We've actually, of the top software, software as a service uh, investors uh, in public markets, we already have seven of them as investors in Domo today. Uh -huh. So that's one thing that we're excited about, that stability. You know, it's something we still have to, I mean, valuations don't really mean anything other than yeah. it's less dilution, but all that matters is, you know, you build a business that customers are happy and then good things will happen over time. Can't time things. Uh, okay, I'm glad you brought up the valuation because I, I ran some numbers before coming up here and um, your primary competitor yeah. is the one that you, when you go to a customer, you're more likely to run into Tableau, mm -hmm. which is publicly held software company Sure. Does a lot of what you do. Sure. Um, sometimes you displace. Sometimes they displace. It's, it's a it's a it's a good competitive fit. Their market valuation as of Monday, I think, it was just a little bit shy of seven billion dollars. They have twenty three thousand customers. Sure. Your valuation is two billion as of your latest funding round. You have rough less than one twentieth the number of active customers. Makes perfect sense. It makes. How does that make sense? <laughs> how, how, how do you how do you justify a two billion dollar valuation when you have not that way? Okay. Okay. How <laughs> do you how do you how do you arrive at that valuation? I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, no, a lot of people invested. A lot of people question. invested because of you, right? I think. But well, I think it's the mean? the biggest thing is well, if I had twenty one thousand customers that have a couple billion dollars in revenue, so our average revenue per customer is much much higher. Um, but more importantly, it's it's the opportunity. You know, it's, it really is. It's like a $100 billion space. We go into our customers, we sell $50,000, a $50,000 account to begin with and per year. And then three months later, it'll be 100000 And then three months later, it'll be 350000 And then three months later, it's $2 bucks. And so, like, our, our revenue retention of our customers is over 150%. And I just no one's ever really seen that in software as a service. So it's just the opportunity. It's applicable to every single employee in a company. And the big problem to your first question about BI versus what we're doing a business management platform, BI has never worked because you need five pieces. We're really five startups in one. So I'm not just you know the poorest um, you know manager of using capital. Um, we're trying to do a lot. That's the right. attempt at least. And really, you got to initially you got to connect the data. So we have automatic connections. You can connect to one of you know, any 40 different data, whether it's, whether it's Salesforce or Concur or SAP these, or Instagram. These, these, you just, these are the hooks I talked yeah, about before. Username, password, boom, the data's in. That's it. You're done. That's the first piece, connect. And that's a whole startup in and of itself. Second piece, prepare. All the ETL, you know, very technical jargon, mumbo jumbo, but preparing the data. That's the second startup. Third startup is build and visualize the data. And that's what Tableau does. And they do it on your laptop. We do it in the cloud. And so that's the third piece, and that's you know, a really important component. Fourth piece is then engage with the data. So all the things that you're seeing from, whether it's you know, a Slack or any other company helps you communicate, but we're doing it around the data. The reason those things haven't really taken off before is it's like it eventually becomes, after two or three months, like, hey, did you notice, everybody, there's new naked juice in the fridge. Get it before it's gone. That, then executives don't go in anymore. But if it's around the data that you use to manage your business that everyone knows your bonus is based on that data, then you as a CXO get in there. Over 50% of our customers have the CEO in our product. And that's, you know, so when our investors saw that, that was kind of the leg that we tried to show that was more interesting than here's average revenue per customer, et cetera. There was, there was an anecdote you told me once that I put in a story, and you're going to tell it better than I did in the story, I think, but it was about a guy who came up to you in an airport 
and he has a bread company. And I, yeah. It's like the most basic thing. Yeah. And and I and I think it, it would be informative to kind of tell that story because sure. it'll help understand help people understand. And that's one thing you know. Omniture was the same way. We had a we had a um, on my IPO roadshow, it was really challenging. We'd go around and they say, "What's the you know what's the we've talked to twenty of your customers and we can't they can't articulate the return on investment." And it's like, well, yesterday before they used this, they they were flying blind. It was in the dark, and you turn the lights on. No one's turned the lights off. They're going to keep on paying for it. And after a year or two, they start articulating and figuring out what those return on investments are. But you know, with uh, with what would you want me to talk about? Question. The bread company. The bread company. With um with this bread company, what they do is they have uh, all these bread machines that create the bread and then cook the loaves of bread. And if it's underweight, at the end of the day, I have to throw away all the bread they created. If it's overweight by 10%, they wasted a ton of money. And you know, in food companies, gross margins aren't high. So uh, they take all this data that's sitting here that they were putting into a, a database and then running reports on. It's, it's, you know, it's a couple hundred million dollar company, but it's not a lot of employees. It's mostly ingredients for their expenses. And now that data, comes to them in real time on their phone. The CEO stopping the airport because he's like, you don't understand what my life's like now. Like I'm on the beach and if I get a text message from Domo that says your weight is over by you know 3%, it's like I'm instantly on the phone with the guys making sure that they're in there recalibrating the machines. So it's that kind of a use case or um, here's your number one, here's your number one sales reps. We've got a big uh, financial institution that is out there saying, running promotions saying, hey, if you use if you use our credit card, then we'll get you tickets to the U.S. Open. It'll be put in a drawing. And they don't, like, does it drive usage or does it not drive usage? And before, once a quarter, they'd get data from their IT team. It told them whether or not they increased sales in New York by running that promotion. And now what they do is they took, they took Facebook data, they took Twitter data, they took Instagram data, LinkedIn data, and they're looking at the fans and the followers and all these different things and using it as a proxy for, based on geolocation, to figure out whether or not they're driving sales. And they went from three people in this very large company looking at Facebook analytics, three people, to it started off the same way. Originally it was 25 users, and then three months later it was 50 users, and then three months later it was 150, and then three months later, so later it's 350. So now there's 350 people at this company that are looking at Facebook analytics. Facebook's awareness inside that organization dramatically increased. And so the, the, the use cases are all over the map, but it's really just about taking data and making it usable and making it all look the same. Whether you, it doesn't matter, you're not logging into 25 different systems, it all looks and feels the same. And our customers, you know, they, they love it. Our CX, the CXOs, they love it. So how many things, the, the fundamental, one of the fundamental strengths that you have is you can connect to all these established and yeah. existing business applications, your SAP ERP system, your yep. Oracle ERP system. Your Salesforce.com sales tracker, right. uh, human resources, or it's Workday, and then your proprietary so systems. And, and propri so, how many things will you connect to theoretically? What's the outer limit? How much uh, work is involved? In we've that? connected to over 400 right now, mm -hmm. and um, you know we noticed that our of, uh, if you look at our thousand customers and the top requests, 90% of the requests that we get fall into the top 100 connectors, and so. We just really have to focus on those making those first class citizens, and we do. I mean, literally, it's 
use an impassword, click, and 45 reports come in. You get a whole analytics package about every single one of those connections. You know, at Omniture, we spent forever building this product that was your web analytics package. And now we've made a, a platform that allows you to connect to anything and get a, like, the bread company just came to us at this found site yesterday. They came to us and asked, asked us to create an application, a custom app that sits on top of our data that looks exactly the way they want it to look with their branding, with all the metrics that they use. And basically what they got is I've, you know, our company, we've created a bread analytics package for them. A bread app. A bread app. But it's their business. Like, they're not going anywhere, right. you know? And it literally is. It's like management by exception. You find out, you know what your standard deviation should be. You don't have to worry about it because you know it's there. Anything that's outside the deviation, you hear about. So, okay. Let's uh, switch back to your strategy of growing your business. And Are you drinking the Kool-Aid yet, though? Or is it nah, a little bit? I never drink Kool-Aid. It's <laughs> I too sugary. Um, um, uh, you spent, after raising all this money, and yeah. not all of it, but along the way, you kept your company, you were very public. You were very out. You were doing stunts like having a funeral for the old name and <laughs> contests to get people to guess the name, you right. know, with an algorithm and whatnot. It was all math, and I didn't understand it, but it was fun. Um, but the product was secret. Yeah. Nobody except the customers saw it. Right. And it's kind of like you were building the plane while you were flying it a little bit. Mm -hmm. but, but nobody saw the product for four years until this month. Right. Why the secrecy? Why did you choose to do it that way? Well. I definitely didn't plan on doing it for four years. We were, you know, I was thinking maybe a year and a half. Yeah. Um, it just took us a lot longer to get it done. Uh, it, it, the, the, the platform was just so much larger than we originally anticipated. I was thinking, I don't know why it's not working. I can't figure out why no one has, is able to get their data as a CEO. I'm just gonna make sure that the CEO gets the data. And then quickly realized, well, CEO only gets the data if the CXOs are putting the data in, and that means they're people are putting it in and their people's people are putting it in. So, yeah, so we kind of had to go to the whole organization. And, you know, that's, that's one thing that took a while. And then the, but the, by, I mean, the main reason that I didn't want to show people uh, twofold. Number one, we couldn't take more customers. Um, and, you know, everything was very manual. It was very intensive. So you, say you couldn't take more customers. What is that? I couldn't hire people fast enough to install it. And I had a very manual process. We weren't very efficient at first. And that's why BI's never worked. It's just, it's never worked. It's really, really hard. And so we could get it to work. And once we got it working, they were so happy. But sometimes it would take us six months. Sometimes it would take us nine months. Sometimes we couldn't get it done. And so I didn't want to exacerbate the problem by throwing a lot more customers on. And just at this, uh, at Domopalooza, which believe it or not is the name of our user conference, um, at Domopalooza, we just, um, we announced that we've now automated all the connections, completely self-service, so customers don't have to call us for any connections to data for any ETLing, preparing the data, um, for any of the building or visualizations, everything they want, they can do themselves. And that's what we launched. But the, the impetus behind all of this was, I just didn't want our competition to see it. Because when I sold Omniture, um, it was web analytics. But whether it was an IBM or an Oracle or, you know, name the companies, they all wanted to buy Omniture. And those CEOs all knew me because of that. And so they were paying a lot of attention and interested in what we were doing. And we felt like, once you see it, it's painfully obvious. It's like one of those things like, well, yeah, duh, you know. Um, and we just didn't want them to see it. And so I hopefully they didn't see it. I, I think some of them did. I asked every one of your competitors that I knew about if they'd ever seen it. And eventually some of them began to crack and say, yeah, we've seen it and we're not worried. Which, which kind of leads to my next question. 
um, which is along the line, is basically this. How do you know that you do this better? There are lots of companies out there. There's Tableau already. Sure. They teamed up with Burst last week. There's, I've talked to Tidemark, and they have something very thematically similar. There's, you know, probably dozens that I'm not even thinking of right here. How do you know that you've done this better? What is, how do you explain that? I don't know if we've done it better. I mean, we think that we have, you know, and, and we think based on the conversations, I mean, it's Greenfield. Every customer we go to, they're not ripping anything out. And I can see it's dramatically different, you know, experience than what they had before. But really what it comes down to is, like everyone knows, just listening and paying attention to the customers. And when we see a customer coming in, spend 100,000 bucks, and then three months later, spend another 100,000, and three months later, throw another 250 on top of it, expanding it to more and more users, you know, we think we're onto something. And I think the fact that there's really five pieces that are needed, you know, that's why you see some of our competition kind of coming together because there's holes there. But it's such a huge space. There's room for lots of people to grow. And I guess the last thing I'd say, you know, so that's probably the more humble answer, if it sounded like that or not. The cocky, arrogant answer would be like, yeah, that's the one I want. <laughs> at Omniture, I hate analysts because at Omniture, when we killed the competition, we had 80 VC backed competitors. We were six times larger than our closest competitor. We bought three of our competitors, but 70 something of them out of business. And never once, never once in any analyst report was I ever the upper right hand. Never once. You know, and it's like, so we don't put too much stock in it. We just really try to focus on the customers. And right now they're having fun. It's a new space. And so that's, that's really rewarding. So the kind of numbers, the kind of growth that you're talking about, I feel like, you know, we're already halfway to an IPO roadshow. What are your, sure. what are your thoughts on taking this company public? You have said to me a few times that you want to be public eventually, yeah. but Give me, give me kind of your chapter and verse. Well, on how you're I, I, I didn't mind being a public company at all. I didn't, I didn't think it was too restrictive, especially like the most like freeing thing of all time was when I was finally told, oh, like technically you can say whatever you want. You just might have to follow it up with a press release within 24 hours. Like that was the most freeing thing of all time. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, you can get as crazy as you want. And if you violate something, you put out a press release. That's the slap on the hand is you put a press release out. Um, but, you know, I'd say, uh, yeah, sometime in the next, I mean, there's an expectation, certainly, that sometime in the next 12, 18 months, we'll be ready in the next six months. And, um, you know, then it's just waiting for the right time. And uh, one thing funny about Omniture is it's like, it was like, it, it was, I don't know if there's been an IPO that barely limped over the finish line more than Omniture. We were 5% oversubscribed. Oh, there's been a few recently. 5% oversubscribed. You know, so I'd like this one to go a little bit more smoothly and to feel more wanted because I didn't really feel wanted then. Um, but yeah, when we'll try to be ready technically and operationally, um, we'll do $100 million this year and we're growing at 100%. Um, so the business is growing and it's got the scale that we need to have, especially I think with the team that we've brought together and the investors that we have together. Um, and if we can keep the customers happy like we are and then kind of fingers crossed, pray that the competition doesn't do something that totally ruins our world. Um, you know, then, then I think we're going to be in a good position to be able to get that done. Why Utah? I went to school there. Went out to go to school at BYU, and I grew up. My dad's a colonel in the Marines, and I lived 17 different places. I had never dated a Mormon person before, and always wondered what that'd be like. That's primarily why I went there. And um, you know, when I was in school, started the company, and next thing you know, I was like, oh, I have 20 employees, and then it kind of went from there. So Utah's. I mean, there's. 
There's seven private software companies with a billion dollars plus. Um, there's 4,000 tech companies. It's a great environment. It's the youngest population in the country, um, most highly educated population in the country, one of the best costs of living. So it's just a great place. We have a little harder time getting you know, someone with a resume where they've been CMO four times or they've been a CFO of a public company. We have to work a little harder to get them there. But once they're there, they stay and they love it. And so it's been, it's been a great benefit. The secret, I think, is just fly them in to like Park City, fly them over Park City in the fall. We do. We when, bring, when I came and saw you in Park City. We try City, to bring everyone to Park City. City. That's a very good point. It was, it was great. Um, so, but I couldn't, I mean, everyone complains about the drinking laws. I can't, I couldn't, I brought my 18 year old daughter here to come and listen. I know, we couldn't. And I couldn't get her in because yeah. it's a winery, so. What's, what's, uh, what's harder, being the CEO of a $2 billion company or the father of six daughters? Father of six daughters, unquestionably, because it makes, there's no rhyme or reason to anything that happens. Um, and, uh, but it's also, I mean, that's 10 times more rewarding as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, you got to follow this guy's Facebook feed. His family, they're always doing fun things. It's, 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 you know, it's really fun running a company. When I was done, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, if I wanted to do... Actually, I'll tell you a quick story. I was trying to figure out, you know, do I want to do something in government? Do I want to do something in, in maybe to teach at a school or do a charitable thing or do another company or be an investor? And um, I donated $2 million to BYU. And... They told me, hey, the president of the school wants to meet you. I'm like, oh, cool. You know? And then they're like, well, here's all the questions we want to ask you before and to make sure you're not going to screw up this meeting. And I go to the meeting, and I kind of feel like I needed to say thank you at the end of it. Thank you for your time. And I really did think that anyway, but I was like, this is so odd. And then uh, Benioff called me, and he's like, hey, come down to my, yeah, come down to my, um, my hospital. Um, I'm donating $100 million to this hospital. You should come down and give us some money. And, so we donated a little bit of money. Mark does. He just um, calls you up and asks for money. It was just a little bit, but you know, it was just such a. It was such an inspiring. It was honestly, it was such an inspiring experience to see him pass about something and give a hundred million dollars, and that really moved the needle. And I was like, two million, hundred million. It's a lot cooler to donate a hundred million. And I said, you know, I, I was fortunate that I was in college when the internet was starting. I was fortunate to be able to have made, some things were just guesses. I didn't know, we didn't even know what the cloud was when we made remotely hosted software that ended up being calling SaaS. Um, but the byproduct of all that is I was a really young ex-CEO of a public company that, that founded and went through the whole process. So maybe the best way we can contribute is by trying to do it again and helping a lot of people out and hopefully getting some wealth and being able to do something with it like, like Mark's doing. So that's the reason I'm doing it again. That's great. Do we have any questions for Josh? I don't see. Any? Yes. We do. Oh, we There's do. There's some Good. questions. I'm sorry, it's hard to see. Even if we have to plan them, that would be embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to your uh, comment about how half of your CEO, customer CEOs are in the platform. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. Um, when you look out 10 years from now, how is that going to change? I'm just wondering, would you tell the student in business school, double down on data, but then turn to the people that are studying data science and say, there's going to be no such field, everybody's going to be a data scientist in the next decade? Um, you know, I think, I mean, the biggest difference that we have in our company relative to um, the competition, and they're all doing great, and they're, they're all going to do great, too. It's such a huge space that's growing so fast. But the one big difference that we've done is we've just, I'm not the most technical person. You look at the CEOs of all of our competitors, they're all fairly technical. And so we try to be really business-oriented. Just, you know, how would, I want it to be like Facebook on my phone. I want it to, I don't want it to be a technical experience. But... You know, the ones that really move the dial are the folks that find those really interesting correlations and figure out 
you know, I was asked on a panel just recently, what's the, what's the potential downside of all this big data talk? And I think one of the things is, because I've been doing big data since 96, and when you think you know what you're doing, and you draw conclusions because you think you have all the data, and then you make big changes, and then later on you find out that there was an assumption that was incorrect, you know, that's, that's a big problem. So now that everyone's running their business based on data, those data scientists that make sure that it's accurate or find those interesting little nuggets, there's always gonna have to be that discovery. There's always gonna have to be surfing through the data and trying to find correlations. And we'll do everything we can, technologically speaking, to say, hey, did you know that we just had a customer ask us to make, this is really cool, uh, they're a retailer, and they wanted us to make a weather map with the seven-day forecast from weather.com to show how their, how their revenues changed depending on whether it snows or rains or if it's cloudy or if it's sunny, and then look at the forecast and say, here's what's gonna happen in each of your 250 stores. And so we're starting to see some, you know, just little pieces, but predictors that can help you maybe affect and change your business. But right now we're still, I think for the most part, just turning the lights on and what everyone's gonna do with it. You know, it's, I think that's what's gonna be really fun over the next few years. Great, any more? Are we ready to start eating and drinking again? I haven't done any of that yet. What's the strangest or most interesting piece of data that you've been asked to visualize in the Dilbo platform? Uh, um, one thing that we're working on right now that's I think I find um, I find to be pretty fascinating is uh, a, a very very large retailer looking at um, offline data about their inventory and when they do inventory checks based on the RFID information about what's going out the store, and then mapping that to the point of sale systems to figure out what actually was sold versus what went out the store, and helping each manager understand where they have problems, and instead of getting it like they were getting it before once a quarter, being able to get that in real time when someone may be in a habit of walking away with this item that they sell um, would be, you know, would be really, yeah, shoplifting, theft, right. shoplifting. Um, but I think that's really interesting. Now they're getting it in real time, and the managers are able to try to catch whoever it is that's doing it and really look at the security cameras, because you don't store the security cameras for a, for a quarter. Yeah, but you usually do have it for five or 10 days. Retailers call that shrinkage. Don't ask me why I know that. <laughs> Any other questions? When you're working with these companies, and they, you know, maybe they have, uh, embedded trade secrets or something in their workflow, but they're yeah. using you for that. Like, what do you, how do you guys handle those challenges? That's a great question. Something we've been dealing with um, over the last couple of weeks, actually. Um, it's gonna come to a point with one of our customers in particular, and they're doing a bunch of data on the back end to clean data and bring data together. Um, and then we're helping them visualize it. Um, and so they're doing a lot of cleaning outside of our system. They take the data in our system, they pull it out because they want to do a bunch of proprietary stuff and they don't want us to know about it or anyone to know about it. And then they're putting back in and visualizing it. So they're actually pat patenting the process that they have externally. Um, and we have lots of really interesting combinations of data. I think, you know, you see, we've kind of seen a tipping point. Once you get, once you get, it's, sometimes it's two, but definitely once you get three different sources of data in our system, it becomes the data source of record for the entire management organization. And, you know, the, so that's interesting because it all looks the same, but what's really fascinating is when you're combining data from lots of different sources. And we have, uh, we just had one of our customers at, um, at Doma Palooza, 
And Dome Palooza, the reason why we called it Palooza is because conferences are so boring. So we did have Ludacris and, and uh, Robin Thicke and Kid Inc. and Marshawn Lynch. But then we had also great guys like Billy Bean and this guy named Jer or something or other just does visualization of data and lots of CEOs talk about how they run their business. But the combinations of data are so fascinating. We have one customer that spoke there, uh, NBC, and they're taking data from Comscore, Google Analytics, Omniture Analytics, Nielsen ratings, a bunch of proprietary systems, uh, Comcast servers, Dish Network servers, and taking all this data, and they can sit there in real time and see in real time customers that are coming in to their um, news show in the morning and what networks they're coming from and then no what networks they're going to. And if they see a bunch of customers going to, a bunch of viewers going to Fox, well, it's a news channel in the morning. They're looking at, oh, Fox is showing Niagara Falls is freezing, it's so cold. They've already got Niagara Falls in the can, and if everyone's leaving to go to that, then they can change the broadcast to Niagara Falls. So it's cool to see the combinations of data from you know, 15 different sources. We built them a really cool app. It's a real-time analytics system for a news channel that shows where your viewers are coming from, where they're going in real time. So it's things like that that are just dramatically changing, you know, changing the landscape. That's great. I think that's it. All right. Thanks for the questions. Thanks a lot.